all these horrible things to get them to move. And so this is all a result. This is typical operations on a, on a dairy. In fact, on a typical dairy, they would kill the babies always because there's, there's way too many babies born on a dairy. You can never use them all because you have to keep them females pregnant. So they're always all these babies. If you can't sell them for veal, um, then you just kill them and feed them back to the cows. So they were turning cows not only into, into carnivores, but into cannibals, and not just into cannibals, but into actually eating their own babies. And that was standard procedure on dairies uh, until it caused mad cow disease, which is the result of these kind of practices. So this is the typical kind of thing. We, 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 pl we plant seeds of osteoporosis in these cows, and we find we just, gosh, we have this terrible epidemic of osteoporosis, and we do the same thing for chickens. We force them to give weight, you know, much more, many more eggs than they normally would, and there's a lot of calcium in the eggshells, and so they all have osteoporosis too. And so every um, problem that we have, as I think, I mean, you just look at, it. you know, I can I can give you a whole list of problems that we have, <laughs> you know, that our environment, you know, being living in toxic environments. We force the animals to live in toxic environments. The breakdown of the family, we break down their families. Drug addiction, we force them to be drug addicted. Uh, mental disease, they're in mental disease. Stress, we stress them incredibly. War and terrorism, if they are in war and terrorism. So whatever we do, whatever thing we can't solve, we should look to our behavior to these beings who just take it. The thing is, they cannot retaliate. They don't, they don't retaliate, they just take it. Whatever we do, they take it. But the way it's set up, whatever, you know, they can't retaliate, but our violence itself does retaliate and we create these problems for ourselves. So once we begin to understand that how, this, how we're all connected and how the, um, our kindness is connected, everything that we do, the motivation underlying our lives is all interconnected. We can begin then, I think, to connect with our true intelligence. There's a chapter called The Intelligence of Human Physiology, which just goes into what it is we're really designed to eat. And I think we, we realize we've all been the, given the gift of bodies that require no animal to suffer to feed them. You know, there's, not, there's no nutrient at all in, um, in animal foods that we cannot get from plant sources. All, they all come from plants, whatever it is, omega-3s, vitamin B12, whatever it is, it's all available as plant, in plants um, directly or in water, uh, in air. I mean, the, the, all the nutrients that we need are available to us. And uh, I mean, I've been a vegan for 30 years, well, 28 years now, and um, I have, but I haven't been to a doctor in 30 years, and I think, or even to a drugstore, and same with Madeline. You, you know, the, the thing is, you realize, as we travel around this country, what we see sprouting up, really, more than everything, is really two things. One is um, just massive amounts of land devoted to feeding grained animals. The other thing is hospitals, and medical things, and all these, you know, cancer places, and all this. There's billions upon billions upon billions of dollars invested in medical treatment facilities. And so you've got to realize there's a huge, huge, huge um, motivation for the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and the bankers that are lurking in the background that built this whole thing to make sure there is a vast and very reliable source of very sick people to, to actually use all these medical establishments. And so the only way you get that big of a flood of very sick people is to feed them foods that are not natural for them, and especially foods that concentrate a lot of <coughs> toxins. So that's, I have a whole chapter that goes into that, a whole chapter on the hunting and herding of sea life, ocean animals, and what, and that's really interesting. I've seen actually the uh, factory, you know, now over half the fish that people eat is factory farmed, 
And if you look into a, like a, a factory farming operation, like one of the ones for freshwater fish, and I've seen them, you look into this huge swimming pool, and it looks like, I remember looking, it looks like just black water. You know, I remember looking, and it's just like, there's nothing there. It's just, just a big pool of black water. And then I kept looking, and I realized it was absolutely full of fish. It was like totally full of fish. And they were, they were crammed in there so tightly, they were like in a, a mass. And they were swimming in their own feces. That's why it was black. And then the workers were like dumping in antibiotics and chemicals and things to keep them alive long enough. And the people are eating this thinking they're getting their healthy omega-3s, you know. And it's like such absolute, utter horror and misery and toxic stuff that they're eating. And, they, and everywhere on the media people say, you can make sure you get plenty of fish, for that. get your omega-3s, and you're guaranteed toxic, I mean, toxins really concentrate in, in the fish, and I go into why, because they breathe, they breathe water. So they concentrate it millions of times. <clears throat> anyway, uh, there's a chapter called The Domination of the Feminine, which is the whole heart and soul of this whole thing, really, because it's the feminine dimension of all of us that is essentially where the seat of compassion and kindness is, and that's what we most brutally dominate, is the feminine dimension of animals. It's the female animals in this whole animal operation that are most brutalized by far because they're the ones that give birth, they're the ones that are most brutally imprisoned, they're the ones whose babies are stolen, they're, they're the ones whose estrus cycles are dominated. You couldn't even have factory farming without the complete domination of the estrus cycles of female birds and mammals and fish. And so um, we, to, for, us to do, for us to treat these animals the way we do, we would have to have really lost touch with our own feminine side. So there's a chapter on the metaphysics of food, a chapter on science and religion, a chapter on the dilemma of work, which goes into what men go through in this whole thing, and a chapter called Profiting from Destruction, which is a whole other thing, which is goes into the whole environmental <laughs> effects of all of this, which uh, I would love to talk a long time about that, but just suffice it to say, because of the fact that it takes so much more land to feed someone eating a, a diet with uh, flesh and dairy products and eggs in it than it takes to feed someone who's just eating grains directly, that there's massive amounts of petroleum uh, that are used, as well as pollution of water and air and uh, pollution and just the use of resources. It's, it's 25 to 50 times, depending on you know, what you're talking about, 10 to 15 to 20 to 25 to 50 times more pollution, uh, more waste, more use of uh, petroleum. The driving force behind, for example, global warming is animal agriculture, but you don't see Al Gore or anyone talking about eating less meat. They talk about just changing a few light bulbs. And it's an utterly hopeless, not I should say hopeless, but I mean, it's hopeless if we don't allow ourselves to see the causes. Mm -hmm. So the hope comes, I think, really when we understand the causes of the, our dilemmas. And yet because of our um, inability to feel the sense of responsibility that we have, I think, towards our treatment of animals for food, we just blind ourselves from really understanding the causes of our dilemmas. And we could, we could really solve so many environmental problems if we reduced uh, our animal, uh, eating of the animals, food. And then uh, there's a chapter called Some Objections Answered, which goes into all the objections that people typically have for these ideas, like, well, animals feel pain, I mean, plants feel pain just like animals, and um, Jesus ate meat, and, and Indians ate meat, it must be good, you know, all these kinds of things. So, I have a whole chapter in there because I think this book is designed really not only for people who are uh, already vegans and vegetarians, but really for people who aren't and maybe would like to understand what it's all about. Because I think so many of the objections that we have to thinking about our treatment of animals for food 
are not really ideas that we got, but they're ideas that were planted into us by our culture. So it's very important to understand, to, to deal with these, I mean, to actually address them. And then the last few chapters just go into uh, really how this entire understanding is extremely positive and uh, it's a blessing to understand it, to understand this because even though it seems like what I've been saying so far this evening seems maybe perhaps kind of negative, kind of like, oh, I don't want to hear this, it's terrible, let's not talk about these bad things. <laughs> but the underlying idea is that once we understand, this is just what's happening, I and mean, this is what's going on, because we're literally slaughtering these animals, and it's totally unnecessary. We can you know, live completely much, actually, just as healthy, or I would say probably a lot healthier on a plant-based diet. And... Um, our economy would be better, the environment would be better, everything. And so uh, the idea is to realize that we are not essentially warlike, essentially dominating of women, essentially oppressive. It's really, it's, it's something that has um, an obsolete mentality that's inbred into our culture, that we've taken on in our culture. And just like slavery or other things that we grew out of, we can grow out of this. We can all become forces of positive change. And so. Each one of us can find our unique way of making our contribution by spreading the word, by living this more deeply, by understanding the big picture, by understanding how uh, this whole thing works together and the spiritual dynamics of it, the psychological dynamics of it, at a deep, as deep a level as we can. And once we do that, I think we can begin to really uh, be a force for, for a positive change uh, in this world. Veganism looks, on the surface, like it's a big no, right? Every, anyone who goes out to uh, to dinner with people who are eating animals, uh, they always say, oh, oh, can you eat this? Oh, you don't eat that, do you? Oh, you, and you don't eat that. Oh, you won't eat that either. Oh, too bad, you know? And, and so it always looks like you're just like a big no person. But I think it's really important to understand that this no, like when I say no, I'm not gonna you know, pick up my wallet and pay someone to stab an animal or steal a baby or whatever. But that no rides on a much bigger and more powerful yes. You know, it's a yes to kindness and compassion and caring and responsibility and benevolence and goodwill. And um, that it's really that yes. And also, that since the living core of our culture, the very essence of it, the very kernel nub essence of the, of the driving force of misery <laughs> in our culture is the commodification of the animals for food, there is nothing more powerful and really more subversive that anyone can do um, to plant positive seeds than to become a vegan, than to actually say, I'm going to live a life uh, of kindness and compassion to those who have no voice and, no, and whose interests are not protected. Once we do that, once we make that commitment, it's like everything opens up, I feel. This is what I found for myself. And um, the floodgates of possibilities really open because we, animals are suffering, but it's not because of us. And that changes everything. And I think once we make that change, uh, it's like the whole universe lines up. And we can, be, we can really begin to connect with our higher nature, with the joy and peace and freedom and abundance that really are our true nature, because we're not doing things we really don't want to know where that, what that's doing. You know, as soon as I start doing things, and I go, like, well, I don't want to know what that cow had to go through, or what that pig or fish or chicken or that person had to go through, then we're in the state of contraction. What spiritual growth is about, and I think what social change is about, is about expanding into the possibilities, expanding into the truth that we are. So I want to thank all of you for uh, listening to all this, <laughs> and for uh, also um, be, you know, in a really deep sense, being the change that helps 
uh, transform our culture. I think there's nothing more powerful than this, really, and truly. It's, it's living the teaching. Now, this whole idea, uh, very often spiritual teachings are kind of theoretical. You know, it's kind of, well, I'll, I'll forgive them, you know, and kind of do things theoretically, but what are we actually eating? That's like, well, what are you eating? <laughs> you know, it's actually living it, and it takes character, I mean, because the whole culture, as soon as you walk out of this door, you know, in 10 minutes or whatever it is, You'll, you know, you will find yourself in a culture that absolutely says the opposite of everything I've been saying tonight. You know, it says the opposite. We're encouraged at every turn to see animals as merely as things. It will be told by our doctors we have to eat more meat and fish and cheese and whatever. And we'll be told by, you know, our ministers, except for Bill and Chair. <laughs> you know, that animals are put here by God for us to use. And that we're, the, you know, the superior species and all these kinds of things. So, um, so really, the transformation of our culture is really incumbent upon us. You know, that's the thing. We can make the change. It won't happen without us changing. I mean, we are the ones who will make the change, and it's a revolution. Um, when I was a kid growing up in Concord, every April 19th, we would go down to the Old North Bridge. My father would get on his Minuteman outfit, and he would get, you know, we'd all go down and we'd, have, we'd reenact the battle against the British, and I grew up with the idea that revolution is good, and I think it is. You know, we need a, ch a, a, a change. But this is a revolution of love and compassion and kindness. It's not a violent revolution. In fact, it's just the opposite. The only way we can do things to harm animals for food is it's also is, it's a mentality of exclusion. Uh, eating animal foods is a mentality of exclusion. We learn to exclude certain beings from the sphere of our compassion. And what veganism is, is a, is a, a mentality of radical inclusion. We include all beings within the circle of our compassion. And so that means not being angry at anyone. You know, it really means learning to be understanding and patient and kind to everyone, even those we may not agree with. That's really so. It's a very powerful spiritual path, and um, and the word vegan. I'll just close with this: is that is the word that was uh, coined by Donald Watson in 1944. He was the vegeta He was the president or the secretary, I guess it was, of the um, Vegetarian Society in London. And he wanted a, a short word because he was tired of typing vegetarian all the time. And so he, he, and he wanted a word that would account for motivation. Because the word vegetarian has no motivational component. You can be a vegetarian for any reason. It's cheaper, it's healthier, or whatever. He said he wanted a word that would account for motivation and have the motivation be um, not a self-centered motivation, but a motivation, a higher level motivation. So he said, veganism is a philosophy and way of life which seeks to exclude as far as possible and practical all forms of cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. That's it. Veganism is simply the effort to make to live a life where I'm not causing cruelty to animals. And as such, I think if we look deeply, we'll see that all human beings essentially are vegans. None of us likes to see cruelty to animals, much less harm animals. We see this beautiful little dog. If anyone went to harm that dog, we'd all be like, no, don't do that. Anyone would. You know, we just hate that. We hate to see someone harm an animal. And so that's our natural instinct, is we're all vegans. We are. And so um, where it, why veganism is portrayed as being radical and extreme is only being portrayed that way because we're in a culture that's radical and extreme in the opposite direction, where animals are radically and extremely commodified and confined and brutalized and tortured and mutilated and killed and uh, are defenseless in our hands. And so it looks radical. But it's our, it's our true nature. And um, so thank you for listening. Does anyone have a, a question they want to ask about what I've said here? Yes. So if we choose the lifestyle for ourselves, we could do have pets. And that's what pet food is made 
Okay, well, if you have pets, um, I, I get this question quite a bit, so I've done a little research. First of all, if your pet happens to be a dog, don't worry, dogs are easy vegans. That's no problem. Just feed them, just don't ever feed them any meat ever. That's not at all required. If your pet happens to be a cat, it's a little more complicated, although, uh, and there's still some debate about it. I have a lot of friends who have very successfully, for quite a few years, I don't know how many, maybe seven or eight years, had vegan cats. You know, so they need to have food that's supplemented with taurine, because that's you know uh, something that's not in plant foods, taurine. But um, there's a lot of vegan cat foods out there, so I would say give it a try. I mean, female cats are pretty easy. It's the male cats because they can get uh, stones <coughs> in their bladder, in their urethra, <coughs> if, if their um, urine becomes too alkaline. So they have this stuff that'll make their urine more al more acidic. So it's a little it's a little tricky with male cats, but otherwise, uh, but there are quite a few people that are doing it, and there are veterinarians who know how to do it. And I, I heard a veterinarian give a talk. He said he could he could basically get any cat to be a vegan. He said if you just do it right, you know what you're doing, and you you know gradually move them over there, they'll be happy vegans. But I know there's people that really argue against that. They say no, no, they're natural carnivores. You should let them eat meat. So you know that's a that's a question. But but um, but dogs are easy vegans. Yes. Yeah, the also the one that that part is that if we didn't domesticate animals in the first place, we wouldn't be putting that right. Right. We had to feed, right. feed the, so I think it's great that people adopt animals as a right. here, but we should stop bringing them into existence and we don't get put ourselves in those Right. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's great to to help the ones that are here, but it, it's an odd, strange thing. The thing I think is um, we people love zoos, right? Everybody wants to go to the zoo because we love wild animals. We love seeing wild animals, and yet we're so kind of perversely disconnected from nature. So we just go into a place where they're, you know, in this little concrete thing, and we go. There's the wild animals. But like all these paintings by Madeline back here, these are all paintings of wild animals. And I think there's something so heart touching and so wonderful about seeing animals in their in the wild, living their lives. You know, seeing foxes. In the last two weeks, we've seen foxes. It's been so great. I mean, gosh, in Roanoke and in Charlotte, we're doing these beautiful red foxes on the land, on the church land where we were. I keep thinking we're going to see one here too, maybe. Um, really? <laughs> great. Well, maybe we'll. So anyway, but I mean, you're seeing wild animals, you know, hawks and fish and, and, you know, wild animals. I mean, they are so powerful. They're so capable. They're so amazing. And we can develop relationships with them that are uh, not in a, in a dominating way like we do with, with, with the, you know, animals that we have domesticated, but really in, in incredible respect, these animals have, have a lot of integrity and sacredness and power and uh, capacity. So I think um, it's enorm it's enormously enriching. I think for us to to have animals just to be you know in, in relationship with animals in the wild. And one of the things that I think is the most tragic and to me heartbreaking uh, elements of everything that's happening on the planet right now is the loss of habitat for wild animals. Animals are losing their habitat so fast. I mean, it's just getting wiped out. And the driving force behind the loss of habitat is, guess what? Eating animal foods. It's the same thing because it takes so much land for grazing and for growing crops to feed chickens and pigs and cows and sheep and goats and now fish. You know, huge millions and millions of acres are growing grain to feed catfish and trout to eat them or to feed them to salmon. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just insane what we're doing. But anyway, so what's happened is 
These animals, I, I sometimes think it's good just to mention this. I, a, a study that I read recently by some biologists, they, they did a study of biomass, which is the weight of the bodies on the plant, okay? And they estimate that um, 10,000 years ago, right before we started herding animals, human beings, the biomass of human beings on planet Earth was less than 1%, right? That makes sense, right? We were less than 1% of the biomass of all the animals on the Earth. Today, a mere 10,000 years later, human beings and their livestock, their, the animals that they own, our owned animals, our domesticated animals, we account for 98% of the biomass of animals on this planet. So the wild animals have gone from being 99% of the you know, life on this planet to being less than 2%. They're now reduced, these animals are reduced to being less than 2% of the life on the planet and the loss of extinction, we're in the big middle of the, by far the biggest extinction that has ever happened, ever. And it's all driven by human beings. So this loss of life, it's like we don't seem to have a sense of, sac of the sacred, of the feeling for the beauty of, of nature and the feeling for the beauty of life. And this is the, the loss that I think is the most severe. It's this loss of the, of the feminine uh, receptivity and appreciation for the beauty of life. And I think that's the core that, that veganism is pointing at, is to regain that sense of kindness and respect and you know, the sense of the beauty and sacredness of life and, and respect all life. Yes? Um, so you're talking about moving from one equilibrium to another, moving from animal cruelty, cannibalism, to um, animal compassion and uh, veganism. But my question is, how sustainable do you think that equilibrium is? Because uh, it's easier to have one weight on the balance, it's easier, it's easier to have a one weight to be a lot heavier than the other, than it is to balance the balance, to balance the scale. So my question is how sustainable do you think it is for us to reach that, to complete that revolution and to sustain the revolution? Yeah, well that's a good question. I mean the whole um, point, I think really, I, again I apologize, I've just not been able to talk uh, about, you know, this tonight, but my book I have a lot in there. Uh, but again, and it's getting late already. But um, what we're doing now is absolutely not equilibrium. I mean, it's totally unsustainable. It, you know, we are at, we, we are in the middle of the complete meltdown of the food system on this planet right now. People today cannot get food to eat. I mean, you, people are starving, uh, and it's and it's increasing very quickly. So there's the, the oceans are being completely devastated. There's not going to be, there aren't fish to catch anymore. The, the, you know, something like 32 out of the 35 fisheries on the planet are either depleted or exhausted. And it, we're, in a, we're in a totally extreme situation. And uh, we have to understand that it's a lot of it's hidden from view by the media, but we'll be seeing this. I mean, we, we, you know, Madeline's praying every day, so maybe it won't happen, but <laughs> I know other people are too. Um, but, the, but the fact to understand is, this way of living, uh, eating animal foods, is profoundly wasteful. You know, before you came in, um, Lauren was reading from the chapter in my book where I talked about when I was a Zen monk in Korea. I watched, I saw how um, they were rice paddies that would feed entire villages easily, and how these Texas cattlemen were coming in and teaching the people how to convert those to feedlots for cows to graze beef. And you can, instead of feeding a whole village, now you can feed just a few people a few rich people from the city while the people in the villages go hungry. They can't buy the rice anymore. You know, that, that is unsustainable. And what I'm talking about 
is switching to sustainable, there's a sustainable uh, situation, we're growing plenty of grain. If people would just eat the grain directly, there'd be less disease, there'd be less pollution. Be, we could actually convert a lot of the um, farmland back to forest. We could just let it go back to forest and we'd have habitat for the animals again. We could just, we could undo the complete disaster that we're doing. The earth could go, could, we could return to a more much more sustainable life. It's just it's a matter of eating different food. Yes? I was just gonna say, these guys are from China and uh, China and India are really the thing that's tipping it now. Yeah. Because you got half the world's right. population that's right. going to a Western yeah. style diet and it's just right. not gonna work. Because they all want to be American. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why, uh, that's a very important point, and uh, yeah, exactly, and, and that's why I think maybe here we are as, uh, as Americans, you know, if we would all, if the, I think if the United States would go vegan, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, we're only 4% of the population the of the world, <laughs> yeah, go, George, George Bush, you know, Alan, no, 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 next, I'm just, next president, right. maybe so, but I mean, what I'm saying is that even, even today, even though our international reputation has, you know, fallen a great deal, still, I think people still, do look at the United States for some kind of leadership. So if we did go vegan, we can have a big impact. I think so for us as Americans, I think it's even doubly important to do this, actually. Yeah. Speaking of the whole country going vegan, uh, yeah. there are people who share many of your ideas about our relationship with animals who would suggest that uh, what we need or what the goal is, is the abolition of animal exploitation uh, in the same way that you know there was a movement for the abolition of human slavery um, or, or relating it to other social movements that have come Thanks. Uh, related yeah. to other social movements that have come before, like uh, suggesting that um, people of color should have the right to vote and women should have the right to vote. Um, do you well, share your perspective on that? Sure. I think um, I'm noticing people are kind of leaving here, and it's it's pretty late. It's yeah. 9:30. So I think maybe what I'll just say is the very core of that is veganism. That's what veganism is. It is the abolition. It's that is the core, and um, it's actually living. Because once we go vegan, everything, everything else will change. But I think, I want to thank all of you for joining us. I'm happy to sign books. If anyone would like a book signed, Madeline does have prints of all of her paintings. We have some sheets uh, telling about if anyone wants to teach this class, uh, a course on the World Peace Diet, or come to a retreat that I'm putting on in Michigan in July. We have a sheet on that. If you buy the book, you get a free CD, and uh, we have a special price on five books. It's only $13 each if anyone wants to <laughs> get some to give away to other people. And... Um, you're so doing a workshop on intuition tomorrow. Doing a, right, we're going to do a workshop on intuition here uh, tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock. And you do sessions, and, uh, sessions available also. Right, we have special sessions of individual music and our portraits. And like I said, Madeline has prints of all of these. And we're hap I'm happy to talk more, but you know, the whole, this whole evening is, uh, it's been delightful, but it's you know, kind of getting late, and I don't want to keep people here too long. But I'm happy to talk to people individually about you know, with any questions or comments. And I was actually hoping to have a little music here, but I'll... If you can come back tomorrow, I will serenade you, I promise, uh, on the piano. Uh, I'll, I'll be playing during the uh, service, speaking during the service, and then during the, uh, which is at 11? 10.30. Uh, 10.30. And, uh, and then in the afternoon at 1 o'clock, the workshop will be quite a bit of music, as well as art and uh, education about developing our intuition and compassion. We'll talk uh, mainly about developing intuition on that. So thanks again. Keep up the great work you're doing. And I wish I could even, uh, we had a little more time, but. I'd just like to make one good. last, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um,
so I'd just like to close with some closing remarks. Uh, and thank you all for coming, and thanks again to Bill and Cher and the Unity Spiritual Life Center for having us. Um, and of course, thanks to Will and Madeline. Um, and I would just like to maybe close with a short passage here from, from the book, <coughs> uh, which I think is a, a nice summation of, the, of, of what Will has to say. He says, in our culture, which is so permeated by the mentality of domination and exclusion, veganism requires a spiritual breakthrough. This breakthrough cannot be forced in any way by others, but it can definitely be encouraged. Looking behind the curtain to the, to the horrific suffering inherent in animal foods, asking questions, contemplating spiritual teachings, cultivating the higher knowing of intuition, and observing the example of other vegans all contribute to the ripening process. Once we can clearly see the universal law or principle underlying veganism, we can experience a spiritual transformation that allows greater possibilities of freedom and happiness. Once we see and understand, we become a, we become a voice for the voiceless, a note in the glorious chord of healing and awakening that is unfolding in our shared consciousness. So, it's a great book. Um, it's really well uh, formulated. It's uh, well documented, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at this book, I recommend that you read it. Thank you.